Hello again. Welcome back to the program, Box Pop, WAMC's live daily afternoon call-in talk show. I'm Brian Shields, and for Ray Graff, comic book and pop culture fans, it's the moment you've been waiting for. Today, we welcome two of the biggest geeks in the region to talk comics and geekery. And with all the announcements made at San Diego Comic Con this weekend, there's a lot to talk about. First, we have Ron Mars. That guy killed off Green Lantern Hal Jordan. Boo. Ron has written major storylines for nearly every top comics publisher, from Marvel and DC to Top Cow and Dark Horse, Silver Surfer, Green Lantern, Witchblade, Star Wars Conan. He's the man behind some of the epic storylines. Also here, pop culture journalist Rick Marshall. Rick is the former editor of MTV News' Splash Page blog and has been dubbed a professional geek by the likes of ABC, CBS, CNN, Spike TV, and more. He's an industry expert, providing news, reviews, and columns for Movies.com, Digital Trends, and more. He also hosts our podcast here at WAMC, Retconned. Rick and Ron, welcome to Vox Pop. Everybody else, give us a call, 800-348-2551, 800-348-2551. You can also post comments below today's Vox Pop wall post on our Facebook page, facebook.com slash WAMC Radio. Tweet your questions and comments at WAMC Vox Pop. And you can email us at voxpop at wamc.org, 800-348-2551. Ron, before we get to Comic-Con, that's got to be a big discussion before you kill somebody off, isn't it? Uh, yeah, but everybody gets better in comics eventually. So, um, But that, you know, that particular job was, uh, you know, that kind of stuff gets decided editorially. Yeah. Um, and I got a call kind of late one night. I had actually been down at Marvel's offices and I got home and uh, DC called and said, hey, we, we'd like you to take over Green Lantern. And I thought, oh, that's cool. I love Hal Jordan's <laughs> cool. I love that costume. It's uh -huh. a classic character. And they said, hang on a minute. The other shoe's going to drop. Um, so they told me what they wanted to do and um, I had to think about it for a week or two before I, before I signed on. Um, and obviously I'm glad I did. It was a, it was a uh, kind of a watershed storyline. Um, so I, you know, I, I take the slings and arrows that, that go with it, and I take the compliments for what, what came after. My name's on the book, so you, you know, you, you stand up. Can you, you worked for Marvel and DC at the same time. Can you do that? Um, it's pretty rare these days. Yeah. Um, back, uh, back in the 90s when I did it, it was not, um, it was not common, but you could, you could do it. I think it was, at that point, I was actually working on monthly books for Marvel, DC, and Image at the same time, which was... Which you would not be allowed to do at this point, uh, because Marvel and DC are very territorial, and mm. most everybody's assigned to an exclusive contract. Um, if the, if they give you the good toys to play with, they want to make sure you're going to stick around. Rick, does that kind of thing really get the fans going? Whether it's a comic book, or you kill off Spock, or you kill off a major character, and some people just don't like it or love it. At this point, pretty much any uh, change in any uh, long-established character is is a pretty big deal. We we have that happening a lot uh, now, as as a lot of the publishers are trying to sort of drum up interest, kind of bring attention to themselves by changing uh, certain long-established characters, mm -hmm. uh, whether it be Captain America or Iron Man or, or any of them there. But yeah, it, it always uh, generates a lot of discussion, uh, both good and bad. And uh, I guess that's part of the thing, you know, part of comics appeal is being able to sit and read and then also talk about them uh, with other people reading comics. Let know? me allow the cynical reporter to come out. Do they do that to boost sales? To kill, They kill somebody off just to get some what interest a, and maybe... What a shocking accusation. <laughs> <I can't>. <laughs> I'm shocked. <laughs> I'm, I'm 
Iran could probably speak better than that, but isn't allowed to. Um, yeah. But uh, <laughs> but yeah, that's that's definitely a big part of things. And but right now, also the uh, the big issue and the big sort of uh, balancing act that a lot of publishers are doing is now that we have comics uh, having such a larger presence in the movie world and TV right. world and such. You also have to reconcile what's going on uh, in the comic books themselves with what may be happening on the screen and how different do you want the uh, the two you know two iterations of the character to be whether you know whether it be just simply uh, the the timelines that you're talking about the events happening then whether you want to directly link them to it so it's 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 a big balancing act right now for for a lot of publishers but you know comics are doing are doing well and the movies are doing particularly well and the symbiotic relationship is uh, hopefully going to keep things going 800-348-2551, the number to call, 800-348-2551. Ron Mars and Rick Marshall here. Comics and general geekery. Your calls are welcome at 800-348-2551. Ron, you just are back from San Diego uh, San Diego Comic-Con for the uninitiative. What is that? It is... Uh, it's huge for, now. For, from my point of view, it's an ordeal to be survived. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's the, it's the biggest uh, pop culture show in this country, certainly, certainly in in you know square footage and and overall attendance, um, it I, I think it still outstrips uh, New York Comic Con, but it's it's the it's the mecca for all of this stuff, and it, it certainly started out as a Comic Con. It started out in a hotel ballroom uh, back in the '70s, and has steadily grown since then, and and really kind of went into overdrive once Hollywood discovered that there was this accessible audience, you know two and a half miles south on the on the freeway that they could um, that they could basically promote to for four days uh, so and now it's a it's a much bigger uh, movie and TV and toy and video game mm. convention uh, and comics are still a part of it uh, but it's 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 comics are one dish on the smorgasbord it's not just the only thing anymore and if you think about it, they're all massive industries the uh, uh, by themselves Hollywood uh, you know the movies TV, video games too. Uh, all these things are massive industries on their own, and with San Diego Comic Con, they're all sort of smashed together into one building. Uh, the the biggest releases from all of these industries are, are all being announced, previewed, shown off, all in one place, and it's totally fan accessible. So you you buy tickets, you go to it, you get to see the stars of this movie that's going to make a billion dollars, you know, get 15 feet away from them. And you're going to see these video games before anybody else gets to see them. You're going to see uh, previews of TV series long before the new season is even going to come out. So it's it's become massive. I I joke with people a lot of time that it's kind of like, uh, you know, recently... RNC and, and DNC kind of put together on the same oh. weekend. Like if you had all of these sort of conventions on the yeah. same exact weekend, and from a journalist side, it's 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 crazy to cover because you have all of these things happening. Hollywood is competing with um, movies are competing with television, which is competing with video games, which is competing with comic books, all to have the announcements take uh, take center stage. Eight hundred three four eight two five five one. The number to call eight hundred three four eight two five five one. Comments below today's Vox Pop wall post on our Facebook page, facebook.com slash WAMC Radio. Tweet your questions and comments, WAMC Vox Pop, or email us voxpop at WAMC.org. Or if you prefer the telephone, eight hundred three four eight two five five one eight hundred three four eight two five five one. From Twitter. Favorite treatment of current issues through the years in comics and your thoughts on the retcon craze? Justin. I'm not quite sure what that means, but I'll pass it over to you. 
I think maybe they're talking code to you guys. <laughs> well, what's happening when he says uh, the the retcon craze? That's actually where we got the uh, the name of the the podcast that uh, we do here. Uh, retcon is basically where you go back and you sort of retroactively change the the continuity, the history of a character. You go back mm-hmm. and change. Uh, maybe if a superhero had a kid at some point earlier in their you know sort of comic book run, but it's not really convenient to have that character have a child now you go back and you kind of do something to make sure that that's not really the case now for the current incarnation of the superhero and you sort of change things retroactively um you know it works sometimes other times it doesn't but the beauty of comics is you know as, as ron can tell you being the one who writes them is that you can always change things and when you have a hit it sort of erases all the any mm-hmm. of the misses that you had prior yeah comics are you know comics are essentially static stories you you know batman's been 35 for 75 years um so uh a certain amount of retconning is absolutely necessary because you want the things to stay contemporary um and if the characters have been around for you know for marvel and dc characters 40 50 60 70 years that's just a natural progression that okay um you know, the guys from the Fantastic Four didn't fight in World War II. They fought in Vietnam. No, I mean they fought in Iraq. No, I mean they, okay. they fought in Afghanistan. Yeah. So it's it's um, it's a continuation of of you know the mythology. You just have to update it. Um, and, and ultimately, comics are about uh, the illusion of change. You know, the the characters essentially stay who they are. The details might change, but Superman is always going to be the last son of Krypton. Batman's always going to be, a, mm-hmm. um, you know, a millionaire who lost his parents as a as a child, and and has to, uh, you know, has to seek vengeance upon upon criminals. The the core of the characters change, the details around them change, and I think a lot of in a lot of ways, what uh, especially the Marvel movies have done well is to sort of capture the core of the characters, and then work the details however they're going to best translate to film. Um, I think that's why the the Marvel movies have been successful that they they stay very true to who those characters are when they were created 50 years ago 800-348-2551 800-348-2551 is the number to call we're talking comics and geekery today with uh, rick marshall and ron mars 800-348-2551 let's talk to chris and bennington chris Hello. hi good afternoon hi Go right ahead. I wanted to start just by saying how great Ron Mars's Green Lantern comics were. Uh, that his his Kyle Rayner storylines is what got me hooked on that character back in the '90s, and it was just tremendous. And uh, I know he caught a lot of flack, particularly. I remember I remember huge <laughs> anger uh, uh, online with the uh, Heat, the Hell's Emerald Attack Team, which I think probably even made threats against uh, Ron Mars himself. But just it, it was great work, and he should be lauded for that for sure. Well, thanks, Chris. I appreciate it. I, I swear I did not pay him to say that. <laughs> um, the, the question that I have to ask, it, it kind of piggybacks on the, uh, the retcon question you were just speaking to, and that it, it strikes me as a, uh, as a bad call when comic companies completely reboot um, entire franchises. So, you know, the, <clears throat> whether, whether we see it with DC, whether we see it with Marvel, not just changing the continuity, but starting with, you know, brand new issues one or sometimes issue zero. I remember when I first started reading comics in, in the mid-80s, the thing that was so appealing about them was that I was tapping into this new universe and this new the, 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 this continuity that had been going on for decades. And it seems to me that comic professionals or, or comic companies, rather, are missing the mark when they think that 
new readers would not be turned on by that. And the whole notion of giving people a good jumping on point and starting from square one. Whereas my own experience was that that was not the appeal. I'm just wondering if you can speak to that and, and your thoughts upon that uh, with regard to the, the, the current industry. Well, it, it can be kind of... Uh... It can be kind of daunting to to jump into comics that have been going on for uh, for, for hundreds and hundreds of issues, uh, you know, and so it. I understand why the uh, the industry does it and why publishers do it, um, and especially right now with movies drawing a lot of attention to characters that uh, may have been long established for you know <coughs> comics readers, but not so much um, not so much in the public eye. Uh, but yeah, it's it's been sort of a uh, mixed bag right now with reboots. We have some of the major publishers doing doing massive reboots, starting over entirely, and then maybe a few years later, sort of deciding that maybe that wasn't the best uh, the best you know, course of action, and then going back to the original continuity. Uh, but again, you know, that's the beauty of comics. You can try something, try it out for a few years, see how people respond to it, and then uh, keep what worked and uh, ditch what didn't. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think, unfortunately, the you know the people forget that this is a business and that the publishers are in business to make money and they make more money selling issues than selling less issues. So, um, while I think, uh, the long time readers are not real crazy about the reboots. Um, every time they do a reboot, it generally sells better than the last time. Uh, so, so the, you know, the, the spreadsheet evidence says a new number one issue is a great thing. Uh, some of the audience might not feel that way, but somebody's showing up to buy the new number ones whenever they put them out. So, um, you know, to me, I, I have to look at it like they're all just made-up stories. You pick the ones that you like and you stick with those. Um, and if you're not crazy about what's happening right now, uh, it's apt to change in three or four years anyway because this is all cyclical. Sure. All right. Great. Thanks, Ed. If I could maybe... Oh, sorry. Thank you very much for calling. It's 800-348-2551. More calls in a moment. We're talking comics, Comic Con, just about everything else and in between. 800-348-2551. Rick Marshall is here, as is Ron Mars. And your calls are welcome. 800-348-2551. You know, uh, a long, 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 long time ago when the comic books were 12 cents and it was pretty much just DC or Marvel, Heroes were heroes. Villains were villains. I mean, there were some misunderstood heroes like the Hulk and uh, Spider-Man who uh, had a bad rap but were really decent guys. But now those lines are really blurred, aren't they? I mean, bad guys can be good guys. Good guys can be bad guys. It's just not as is. It's a lot of gray, not as much black and white. Well, I think, you know, I think our society is more shades yeah. of gray now. We're, mm-hmm. we're a more more complex society. And um, the the entertainment we consume always reflects that. And Comics are no different. Comics, um, to great extent, I think, reflect where we are as a culture, and uh, and I think they certainly kind of reflect where we're headed as well. I think comics are generally ahead of the curve. Um, certainly, you know, just in terms of what you go see in a movie theater. I mean, I read comics as a kid because you couldn't get those stories anywhere else. You couldn't get the, the sort of outer space epic that uh, the Fantastic Four was. Um, or or a guy swinging on a spider line between buildings, there was no way to even show that properly uh, unless you were going to animate it. Mm-hmm. Um, now technology is caught up with with what we've been doing in comics for thirty or forty years, and that's the dominant uh, entertainment form I, I think really on the planet is superhero movies. Um, if you had told me when I broke into comics almost twenty five years ago that that we'd be getting a major superhero movie release every three months and that 
they would be the biggest movies every weekend, you know, I would have said you were nuts. Mm-hmm. I mean, when I when I broke into the business, um, Marvel couldn't get uh, you know Marvel couldn't get a, a decent TV movie made, much less a you know a blockbuster that that opened worldwide. Um, we've come so far. I mean, and really, Comic Con is kind of a microcosm of it. The first Comic Con I went to was probably '92. And the building was half the size that it is now, and the gas lamp district in San Diego, which you know the Comic Con has expanded into for blocks, was basically non-existent. It was the other side of the tracks, the railroad tracks from the convention center, were literally the other side of the tracks. You didn't you didn't go over there at night. Um, you know, San Diego's a navy town, and uh, so that those streets were were what you would expect to find in a navy town at that point. Um, and now it's this, you know, it's this high rent district. Um, everything is kind of caught up with comics. Uh, so now I think it's the job of comics to kind of figure out where we're headed next and have everybody follow us. And I think it's a, a testament too to the uh, to the movies and, and the way they're handling things. In that uh, Marvel, especially with their movies, uh, and their movies are, are every one of them has been a blockbuster. But they're actually staying true to some of those sort of heroes are heroes, villains are villains, qualities that, mm. that you talked about there. Captain America is still a Boy Scout in the movies. He's yeah. still, he doesn't have that sort of, he's not going dark in the movies still, he, and he works. Well, Superman movies. has kind of a temper now, doesn't he? Yes, yes. On the other side, uh, with some of the DC Comics heroes, they're really experimenting right now. Warner Brothers is with, uh, you know, going dark with a lot of their characters, mm-hmm. um, where before Batman was the darkest thing you really got out yeah. of the DC Comics universe. Now Superman, all, and the rest are sort of going darker, but there was a lot of backlash to the last couple of films to Man of Steel and Batman v Superman um, about them being too dark, too dark overall. And some of the footage that came out of Comic-Con, actually, uh, of Justice League, the new uh, big team-up movie coming out, that really put emphasis on them being sort of funnier and, and dare I say, more in line with, with some of what the Marvel movies are doing, where you kind of have these uh, heroes that can be funny and have fun while they're also saving the world and, and you know, make quips and that sort of thing. And... Uh, that's that's interesting to me that movies have actually gone back to the very much heroes are heroes, villains are villains, um, where comics have been a lot grayer. Let's talk to Christopher Middletown. Christopher, go ahead. Hello, gentlemen. Thanks for taking my call. Sure. Hey, sir, I'd like to uh, address the issue of diversity in comics. Uh, as long as comics have been around, they've always had, uh, you ha- you've had a sidekick, come in for some of the superheroes, but never an actual comic where the African-American is the actual star without some tech or a mask that covers his face. If they want to address the the good side of people, show us some heroes. Wasn't the Falcon the first African-American superhero? That was back yeah, in the 60s. He, yeah. The Black Panther was actually the first one. Yeah. Um, who, who, yes. as the caller said, had a had a full face mask, uh, but was yes. was from Africa, was a prince, was a genius. Um, he was a king. Yeah. Com- king. Comics king. are um, lagging behind in in terms of diversity. Um, I think I think obviously we're getting better. Um, that's not to say that that we're where we need to be, but uh, comics are much more inclusive now than even 10 years ago i think so it's a yes, um, it's a it's a long process had... and it's not a it's not a uh it's not an overnight thing and i think we're going to start no. to see um to see the movies drive 
more of the comic content because we're we're getting a Black Panther movie, we're getting a Captain yeah. Marvel movie, we're getting finally a Wonder Woman movie that looks great. So it's um, you know it's it, it, comics have been largely largely white and largely male because they were directed towards largely white, largely teen, adolescent boy audiences for decades, and then it. People, it started to dawn on people that we could tell any kind of stories with these. We don't have to just tell kids' stories. So it's it's been an evolving process, and I feel like we're still behind the curve, but um, there's now at least an awareness that there's an entire other audience out there that we're not servicing. Um, and, and I think it's, it's easier. When I say we, I think most people look at it as uh, superhero comics. Uh, obviously, there's a whole yeah. range of comics out there that have nothing to do with superheroes and I think are actually much more diverse and much more inclusive uh, because they're not dealing with 50 or 60 or 70 years of, of history and continuity that are rooted in, in other eras. So it's, a, it's an evolving process and we're not where we need to be. But I, I do think there's finally an awareness that, hey, you know, there's an audience out there that we need to reflect. And, and frankly, just from a pure business point of view, there's an audience out there that that will will pay us. There's an audience out there that will show up if we give them uh, stories and heroes that reflect who they are. And I agree with you with too with uh, movies sort of pushing things along. When Black Panther does come out and ends up being almost inevitably a, a massive success, uh, as just going on what the other Marvel movies have done, I think you're going to see a lot of. Uh, a reactive change uh, after that as well. I think you're going to start seeing because there there are the numbers that this succeeds in a uh, in in Hollywood in the biggest stage. It's uh you know it it's true in comics just like it's true in everything else. Follow the money. If if there's money to be made um, by doing things like Black Panther and Captain Marvel and Wonder Woman, if those movies come out and are a success, you're going to get a lot more of them. This Comic-Con in particular, uh, I found, was interesting because it really was uh, women took sort of center stage in a lot of the biggest announcements. Uh, The Wonder Woman trailer was probably, in in my estimation, the biggest hit of of San Diego Comic-Con. And there's a um, female-led superhero movie. Uh, And on the Marvel side, uh, the announcement that Brie Larson was going to play Captain Marvel was probably Marvel's biggest announcement. That was sort of the big climactic moment of their presentation was announcing uh, that Brie Larson was going to be playing uh, Captain Marvel. So those are two of the biggest uh, movie studios out there for superhero movies making uh, making female characters uh, the centerpieces of of their presentation at Comic-Con. Yeah, and truthfully, I you know yes. for for years. Thank you, well, thank uh, you very much for calling, Christopher. Thanks. I was going to say for for years, um, it always baffled me because when I broke into the business, the the, the books were largely male leads, um, and it always kind of baffled me that that well, aren't we kind of just ignoring fifty percent of the population? Mm. Can't we sell twice as many of these things if we actually include? Uh, heroes that that women would be interested in. This might be a bit off topic, but all that controversy over the reboot of Ghostbusters with women. They got a lot of nasty comments. Some of the cast members, I don't know, some guys just don't want to see women in those roles. Do you think that was it? It goes back to the entire nostalgia is a powerful force and uh, and kind of perverts things over time too. uh, Over time too. And, And that movie in itself was such a lightning rod for so many reasons. Um, both the the 
project itself that was being rebooted, uh, the decision to go with the uh, the all-female uh, sort of leads for it, and so many other elements of what was going on there, whether or not it was uh, the fact that it was a reboot um, instead of a sequel. Uh, so many things. That was really sort of a, a lightning rod for every controversy in the entertainment world all heaped on one project. Yeah, I mean, certainly if if you feel like uh, four really funny ladies doing a movie ruined your childhood. <laughs> your childhood probably wasn't all that great. Uh, it's it's uh, you know it, it reflects where we are as a society that we're still wrestling with 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 this stuff. Um, you know, frankly, I heard the same stuff when when we got rid of Hal Jordan and I made up a new Green Lantern. We got the same. Oh, you you ruined my childhood. Well, no, your your childhood's fine, and the books that you read as a child are still right there on the shelf. If those are the ones you want. Go read them. We're doing something new for some for for somebody else. If you don't like it, sorry, but uh, somebody else will. Uh, it's we 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 become very possessive as a yeah. as consumers of of pop culture. It seems the industry years ago was happy. They had Batman. Okay, we have Batgirl. Superman. We have Supergirl. Just sort of put the same uniform on a woman, and we're all set. But that's just that's just not the case anymore. Right? Well, it, that's a that's a band aid. Yeah, that's a band aid over the. Over the problem, and again, it was it was largely sales driven because the 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 conventional wisdom, certainly up until the '80s, was that you know you were telling superhero stories to boys that were 10 to 14 years old, and at the end of that cycle, a new crop of 10 to 14 year olds came in, and you just told the same stories over and over again. Um, there, that's why, to great extent, superheroes are superhero stories are all middle. They have they have an origin. And they're all middle. There's no end. Our next uh, caller is Josh in Utica. Josh, go ahead. Hey. Hi, Ron. Um, Josh from the Utica Public Library. Hey, Josh. How are you? Good. Um, I want to say hey. Thank you for coming to our convention last year. Uh, it was great. Great library. Yeah. Um, basically, I just wanted to talk about the inclusivity issue uh, and sort of plug libraries and cons a little bit. Um, looking at something like San Diego Comic-Con or New York Comic-Con, it's, there is a barrier to entry, I think, for a lot of people in terms of cost and accessibility. Um, and there's a lot of public libraries like the Utica Library, which are holding local cons, which are, are fantastic and uh, really bring pop culture to the masses, so to speak. Well, it's certainly, again, having been, been doing this for almost 25 years, uh, it used to be that there were there was a there was a major con you know once a month from April or May to October somewhere in the country, and then it got to be that there was a sizable con pretty much every weekend somewhere in the country, and now there are three or four sizable cons every weekend in the country except for basically Christmas. Um, it's huge business; they're all over the place and. Um, and I think conventions have started to uh, striate a little bit in that in that there you know there are conventions if you want to go get um, Ernie Hudson's autograph because you love Ghostbusters in the 80s you can go do that if you want to meet a wrestler you can go do that if you want just want to deal with comics there are conventions that just have comics right, um, right. you know it, it used to be that you you couldn't go to a convention because there just weren't that many of them and they were in major cities um, now they're they're everywhere, and I've done a few, a couple of library conventions, uh, both Utica and uh, Saratoga, and I know Schenectady has one too. 
that are. Oh yeah, uh, New York right now has uh, numerous, um, and in, in the Library Association, it, it's a hot topic as to, you know, not just comic cons, but sort of pop culture festivals, book festivals of that nature. Um, it's something we're actively talking about at the professional level as well. It's I I I actually enjoy the smaller conventions a lot more because you get to have more one on time one on one time with, with the audience with the people that show up. Um, a, a larger show certainly has its benefits um, because you're going to see a lot more. There's a lot more to do, but um, for a for a personal interaction, um, in a lot of ways, the smaller the show, the better. And the one other thing I think that like Archon at, at a public library has going for it that. While something like a major con, like San Diego Comic-Con or New York Comic-Con, or even smaller cons like Albany Comic-Con are, quote-unquote, family-friendly events, there's a lot of not family-friendly things happening there. And we can definitely regulate it so that it is a con for ages, you know, zero and up, and, and having things for everyone. Yeah, it's a... it's a To, to me, the, the development of the library cons is great because it, it brings that experience to people that are not going to be able to uh, to have it otherwise. Um, and yeah, obviously cons are a big deal. They're, they're, uh, Comic-Con from last weekend was the, the biggest news uh, in terms of entertainment anywhere in the world. I mean, and, and speaking from a, a public library standpoint, I mean, our con in Utica where you came to last year, Fandemicon, was 700 people in one day for the library. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's it's huge for us. So it's like a, a marriage made in heaven. All right. Well, thank you very much for calling. All right. Can I just give a shameless plug for ours? It's in August. Sure. <laughs> sure. It's a Fandemicon. It's on Saturday, August 20th from 10 to 5 on Fandemicon.com. And uh, Ron, thanks again. Keep up the great work promoting cons, comic books, everything. Thanks, Josh. I appreciate it. Take thanks care. very much for calling. More calls in a moment. Vox Pop on WAMC. We go to Schenectady and Kathy, go ahead. Um, I heard your comment about the Ghostbusters movie. Mm-hmm. And I have to admit my disappointment. When I first heard about it, I was excited. I thought it sounded like a great idea. But as it went as time went on, the fact that they really didn't give us a new story. I thought a continuation of Ghostbusters would have been great, but the fact that this was just a poor rehash of the original and from, uh, you know, just that just really turned me off. I wanted to see a new mm-hmm. Ghostbusters. Well, Any thoughts? Well, I I thought it actually told a pretty good uh, a pretty good story that uh, strayed from the the original in uh, in in the right ways and and kept uh, sort of the spirit of the uh, the, the original film um, where it needed to as well. Uh, Kate McKinnon's character was was fantastic and probably one of my favorite new action heroes um, <laughs> on the on the big screen. So uh, yeah, I think overall the, the film was a success in doing what it wanted to do. And now we just kind of wait and see how it does uh, uh, financially and, and that sort of thing to uh, uh, to see whether or not we'll continue seeing more from them. I uh, I got nothing because I haven't seen it yet. Uh, that's that's one of the uh, that's one of the pitfalls of of doing this for a living is you know you work at home so you're at work all the time mm-hmm. and you don't get a chance to go out and see stuff as you you know as you uh, would like to. Because you're chained to the desk. Uh, yeah, although you, I did, I did see Star Trek the other night. And you create things. I, I react to them. That's sort yeah, of the, the yeah. dynamic you, here. <laughs> you you have to get out and see it. 
I can I can wait till it gets to the second run theater. Thank you very much for calling, Kathy. 800-348-2551 from Woodstock. Harriet, go ahead. Hi. 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 I wanted to mention um, two things. An old favorite of mine, and I mean old, Dr. Strange. Does that ring a bell? Oh, yeah. Big movie coming out uh, in just a little while. Uh, big no mo- kidding. Really? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I mean, that was one of the other, uh, it, it, it's actually a testament to how well it's being received in that it uh, uh, showing another trailer. It wasn't even one of the first trailers, uh, but, you know, oh. a, a second or third trailer from it um, at wow. Comic-Con uh, was, was a very big deal. And it's, it's Oh, looking... that's, that's fabulous news. I'm thrilled to hear that. I thought he was long gone and forgotten. Oh, no. Uh, Benedict not. Cumberbatch, uh, the, the star of uh, oh, Sherlock, no, really? is, oh, that's uh, is playing him perfect. and comes out in, I believe, in November. Um, perfect. It'll be oh, hitting theaters, and it looks fantastic so far. It's got a great star-studded uh, cast. The casting went very well with it. Um, all the right people, I think, in all the right places. And uh, wow. yeah, uh, with with a few, you know, with a few exceptions that people are sort of bickering over, but uh, otherwise uh-huh. everything seems to look good. Very uh, very trippy, and in the spirit of the uh, sort of best parts of the run, where things got very surreal, and during the the, yeah. the psychedelic era of, of Doctor Strange seems to be uh, very much a, a part infused into uh, the movie. Yeah, oh, that's wonderful news. And my other thing I wanted to mention, uh, one of my favorite, favorite, favorites, and I don't think there's a comic, I don't know anything, except that I just love Hellboy. And I wondered if he has a comic. I wondered if there's going to be another Hellboy movie. There have been two. And um, if where does Hellboy fit in in the superhero kind of uh, genre. Hellboy, uh, Hellboy's a, a very uh, a long-running comic, sort of uh, at a sort of in limbo a bit right now, um, mainly because the authors had been writing it for so much of his his career and, and wanted to take a break. Uh, the rumors of a sort of a third movie have been going on for a really long time now, and they wanted to make a third one. Uh, the star there, Ron Perlman, uh, was one of the most vocal people, uh, sort of campaigning for it for a while, despite the fact yeah. that he would always complain about having to go under so much uh, makeup to uh, makeup, in yeah. order to to play the role. Uh, but thus far, it's sort of it's sort of fallen out of uh, the development cycle as as uh, as things have progressed because you know it is going to cost a lot to make that movie, and the second movie didn't nearly make as much as uh, as they had hoped and mm. uh Guillermo del Toro uh, the director there has moved on to a lot of other projects and his schedule is, is very very busy so uh, as he finds trouble as he has trouble f- sort of fitting it in and the uh the stars of the the earlier two films get uh, you know a bit older and get busier themselves um it's become less and less likely we'll see it again but oh. keeping hope alive because uh, I love the first two movies myself yeah me too hell boy <laughs> I had no mm. idea Actually, that there was I'm a comic book. I'm sort of out of out of it now. I, I don't, you know, I used to love comic books. I wouldn't even know where to buy one. Well, you can go to your your local comic shop, or like we uh, just talked about, you can go to a library and and request it there. I read actually a few of the collected editions of Hellboy, uh, just getting them out from my library uh, uh, here, and you can wow. always get them there. And the the art is beautiful in it. It's it's one of the wow. uh, more beautifully done uh, comics, which is one of the reasons why it became so popular. Yeah, wow, absolutely. I had, I had the no only, idea. The, um, the only thing I brought back from San Diego was the hardcover reprint of the most recent batch of Hellboy stories from Mike Mignola. That, oh, was, that was the one thing that I had to get. Uh, so I made sure that I got it. But everything else, you know, everything else in the room I ignored, that was the one amazing. thing. Amazing. This is all amazing news to me. And thank you so much for, for all that information. Well, really. Thanks. 
Thank you very much for calling, Harriet. This is a very sad coincidence that uh, we're doing this show when news comes from Ian Pickus, our news director, just told us that uh, Jack Davis has died, the famed cartoonist uh, for Mad Magazine, Time and Mad, uh, Tales from the Crypt, EC Comics. He was 91. Do you guys... You guys certainly know Jack Davis. Everybody knows Jack yeah. Davis, even yeah. if they don't know that they know oh, Jack sure. Davis. We all, Those we all grew up on, on Jack Davis, whether we knew it was him or not. Um, yeah. It's sad news, um, but 91's a pretty good run, and he, he leaves a huge... Massive. behind him. One of um, those uh, great men who warped my mind, along with uh, Don Martin, Al Jaffe, Sergio Aragonis, Mort Drucker, Will Elder. I mean, those guys could draw. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And and the ones that are still with us still do. Uh, yeah. I see Sergio at shows do on you? a fairly really? regular basis. Yeah. And, uh, you know, he is Sergio Aragonis is exactly what you think Sergio Aragonis would be like. He did the uh, marginal, very much so. the yeah. marginal things yeah. in Mad Magazine. Yeah. Yeah. Don Martin died, I guess, about fifteen years ago. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But Al Jaffe's still with us. He still is. Yeah. yeah. But Sergio, you can still track down uh, everything there. But yeah, Jack Davis left a, as you said, a massive footprint, uh, and he's one of those uh, people who, uh, when you mention the name, uh, not everyone is going to immediately uh, uh, register. Never... But you show oh. one piece. You can pretty yeah. much select any piece of art that he's done, and uh, that's. They're going to recognize it. Great, great caricatures. 800-348-2551. Dwight, go ahead, Dwight. Yes, I just was a, a little bit curious. Um, I know that uh, a lot of what's going on in the movies and everything is from very well-established superheroes and things like that. I'm just wondering if, even in the comic books, are there any people or characters on the horizon that are up and coming that that might actually make that kind of status where they might be uh, posed. I mean, I know there's a lot of stuff going on with anime and that, but uh, you know, is there anything out there? Well, uh, uh, on the the larger sort of more higher profile side, I mean, Captain Marvel uh, uh, from Marvel there is uh, not a character that everybody's familiar with, and and there's a lot of characters from both sides uh, that from Marvel and DC sides that are going to be coming up they're experimenting with we have things coming up with uh, with the Inhumans from Marvel we have lots of different um, lesser known characters and to be honest uh, Iron Man wasn't the highest profile uh, character for mainstream audiences when, when that movie came out um, when that movie was sort of announced and started making its way up and then there are quite a bit of uh, uh, non-Marvel DC projects that have been optioned uh, over the last few years, because the success of Marvel and DC has made uh, uh, Hollywood now look to some of these uh, uh, some of these lesser known publishers to pick up to pick up properties that they have. Um, anime wise, we have some of the major big big projects like uh, like Ghost in the Shell uh, coming up, which you know kind of has its own share of uh, uh, issues being discussed around it. Um, and there's a lot of other anime and manga projects. Uh, tech. Attack on Titan turned into a movie recently. That's sort of I think the the next horizon for a lot of uh, for a lot of things after sort of western comics and things like that i think we're we're starting to look more towards the anime and manga world it's yeah okay i mean, I mean so uh, many, that, yeah that. so many comic projects get optioned um in addition to marvel and dc stuff uh, a lot of creator-owned stuff and you know probably 90 percent of them that, that get optioned never actually see the light of day but you know there are things that that uh that do show up because Comics is a is a very fertile ground for for storytelling. Uh, we uh, comics are sort of built in storyboards. So when you you go to a pitch meeting at a studio, um, you can already show the executives what the thing looks like. It it doesn't take a huge leap of imagination to understand what this might translate to on the big screen. 
Um, and, and frankly, looking at a comic is easier than reading a screenplay for, for uh, spec purposes. So uh, I think that's one of the other reasons that they've been embraced is that it's, it's almost like shorthand for, for visual storytelling. And I think a lot of the lower profile projects uh, in the comics world are actually becoming a, a little bit even more attractive to studios because uh, when they're lesser known, uh, they don't have to worry as much about uh, taking some uh, taking some some license with how the characters are depicted when they make it to the screen. Uh, if the characters aren't as well known, they're not going to have that sort of nostalgia lock to how a character is supposed to look uh, when when you know they cast somebody in that role. Okay. Uh, no, that's great. Uh, I'm glad that those comments really make sense to me. That's great. Um, uh, just thanks for answering my question. Thank you very much for calling. An email here. I'm not sure what this means. Another coded thing here. After the rumors about reshoots late in the game, how worried are you guys about Rogue One? What is Rogue One? It's the uh, the next Star Wars uh, oh. movie that's coming out. It's a uh, standalone sort of. Uh, uh, it's part of their anthology series where they're going to be doing some standalone movies uh, set at different points in the Star Wars universe. This one uh, is set between Episode Three, there, uh, Revenge of the Sith, and uh, and the original Star Wars there, and it follows the group of pilots who uh, are tasked with stealing the plans for the Death Star that in the beginning of the original Star Wars, uh, Leia hands over to R2-D2 yeah. and becomes sort of the, the MacGuffin for pretty much that entire film. Uh, there, was some, there was a lot of talk about reshoots going on for that a while back. I think a lot of it was overblown, um, mainly because reshoots happen with every single big budget movie especially. They have the budget a lot of the time to do reshoots, to sort of tweak things to bring people back and shape things after they do some test screenings. But because of how high-profile Star Wars is as a property, people went nuts about the idea that there were reshoots, that they were, had to redo some things. Uh, I think that it's, I think that the movie that existed prior to the reshoots probably isn't going to be that much different tonally from the movie uh, that we get after all these reshoots were done. 800-348-2551. John in Shaftesbury, Vermont. John? Hi, thanks for taking my call. Sure. I wanted to know, um, Ron Mars wrote a story for Green Lantern back in the day that really became a focal point for um, uh, women paying attention to comic books and, and, and calling for an end to misogyny in comic books. And I'm just wondering, um, kind of 20 years on, what he, what he thinks of that story, uh, kind of looking back at it. Um, I wrote the story. I don't shy away from the story. Um, a villainous character did something really villainous and really evil. Um, uh, and for, you know, I guess we should sort of discuss what, what happened when, uh, when the new Green Lantern that I created, Kyle Rayner, first got his Green Lantern ring. Um, his girlfriend at the time ended up paying the price because he was careless and uh, didn't understand the seriousness of the, the burden that he was taking on. And uh, she wound up uh, murdered by a supervillain and stuffed in the refrigerator when he got home. Um, the, the notion for having her stuffed in the refrigerator, I actually uh, gladly admit to cribbing from Stephen King uh, from his Firestarter novel when um, I believe it was the mother of the little girl character in the novel um, was stuffed in, a, I believe, a washing machine by uh, government agents who were trying to get their hands on the kid. Um, so it, it became uh, a a tender point for um, for people uh, to point out that uh, female characters often suffered consequences that the male characters uh, didn't. Uh, and I think there's there's certainly truth to that. Uh, 
when you have an industry that at that point and to a certain extent now is is largely driven by male heroes who are not going to be killed, who are not going to go away, um, the people around them are the ones that that uh, suffer the consequences. Uh, so, uh, you know, I don't shy away from the story and I would I would probably write the same story now as I did then. Um, but it certainly, you know, it certainly brings up a, a great deal of discussion for, um, you know, how how we portray the violence of the people around the main heroes as a, as opposed to the the heroic deeds of the guys who are the, the title characters. Back in the 50s, under pressure from Congress, the industry adopted the Comics Code. Is that still around? Are there things you can't do in a comic book? No, that's actually, the Comics Code is uh, was dismantled in the 90s. Uh, although, in a, you know, ironically, when we submitted that storyline, mm-hmm. uh, when we submitted the issue of Green Lantern to the Comics Code, um, the... The, the girlfriend's body was like stuffed up in the stuffed into the refrigerator upside down uh, as a as a as a needle as a as a as a knife twist from the uh, from the villain to uh, make it hurt that much worse. So and in the in the original art, the door of the refrigerator was open. We submitted to the comics code and the comics code flipped out and said, you can't show that in a comic. Huh. Uh, so they made the artist uh, redraw the panel and show the refrigerator door mostly closed so that now that the refrigerator door is mostly closed you can't figure out why her head is down here and her legs are up here so everybody immediately assumed that she had been cut up and thrown in there in pieces so the comics code uh made the whole thing that much worse by censoring us we are just about out of time, unfortunately. This has been a great show, and we're going to leave a few people on the line, Mike and Bill. My, Bill wanted to talk about the Metal Men. Oh, I love the Metal Men. I wish we could have taken that call. Maybe next time uh, you guys and Ray uh, Ray Graff can talk about the Metal Men. But we'd like to thank uh, our guests, Ron Mars, Rick Marshall. Thank you for coming in. And uh, remember, the conversation continues online at wamc.org slash voxpop. You can download the new podcast on Pulp Culture retconned on iTunes or your podcast app of your choice. Zach Malloy's The Engineer. Your call is answered by Bruce Herbach, our producer Jessica Blaustein-Marshall. I'm Brian Shields.